walked in the door a little stressed this morning? I was just a little, let's be honest, I was a little stressed, a little stressed. Hey, 30 honest people. Like, I'm not raising my hand in church. They might get me into kids' church. And you're not wrong. Um, so I, uh, John Gordon has a book called The Energy Bus. I just love it. It's, it's mainly about positive attitude, but he talks, there's this lady in there, she always talks about, I'm too blessed to be stressed. So if you walked in that door stressed, let's take a minute and be blessed. Amen? Amen. Let's just rem- let's remember how blessed we are, how favored we are. Jesus came to proclaim the year, the time period of the Lord's favor. Not, not, not the Lord's judgment, the Lord's favor. God likes you. So I know that's hard to swallow, isn't it? So let me read this out of Deuteronomy. And I know whenever you read stuff out of the Old Testament, a lot of times people go, well, that wasn't written to us. Well, technically, none of the Bible was written to you. Actually, all of it was written to you, but technically it wasn't specifically written to you. So that argument doesn't hold water in my theology, okay? So here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy. He says, wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll be blessed. Say blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they'll scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. Say blessed. Blessed. And will give and will fill your storehouses with grain and other modern type things. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord. And they will stand in awe of you. All together, let's say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I want you to look at the person next to you and say to them, I am blessed. And I, how many thought that was weird? It's okay. It's okay. Look at them again and say, you are blessed. I know, you're sitting there going, I don't know, what else is he going to have us doing today? Well, we thought we'd do the hokey pokey. (laughs) Just kidding. I stand in a room full of people who are blessed today. God likes you. He wants to be with you. He loves you. You are in a position as a child of God to receive. And that is the hardest thing in my book about being a Christian as an American, as a Westerner is that God puts me in a position to receive. Because I like to, and I grew up this way, I like to earn. I like to feel like I deserve. I like to feel like I can stand on my own two legs. But God worked things out through this thing called grace that none of us understand. That puts us in a position where we constantly are in a place to receive from God. Why does God want you to receive? Why did God bless you? Why does God like you? You know what? I don't think you believe that part. So let's say this all together, okay? God likes me. One, two, three. God likes me. And maybe you should say that all the way home and just keep saying it until your heart starts to believe that God likes you. Nobody in this room is in trouble. Nobody in this room is in trouble. You know why? Jesus took all your trouble. He died for your trouble. He got in trouble for you. He went to a cross. He suffered all the trouble, okay? You're not in trouble, okay? 
Now, <clears throat> you may go, well, I don't know about my boss. Hey, that's okay. We're going to talk about him today. <laughs> We're blessed to be blessed. So um, when I ran restaurants a few years ago, I ran McDonald's, and uh, of course, if you know me, you know that. And so it's a little hard to motivate people sometimes. Business is about motivating people. It's about helping people see the value in their jobs. The most demotivating thing in the world is to do something over and over again and see no point in doing it, right? How many of you guys have had jobs? Don't say if you have a job like that, but you've had jobs like that. Give me a nod. You don't have to shout amen, hallelujah, and run down the aisle. But I mean, you know, you've had a job where you felt like you were just doing it to do it again. Like maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or just a mom. How many of you have done laundry? You're like, I, I, why do the laundry? It's just going to be dirty again tomorrow. We had Mount Washmore at our house with seven boys living at home at one time. Uh, you would not believe the laundry that this woman has done. She can fold laundry so fast. It's like if there's ever an Olympic laundry competition, she's in. I'm making money if there's ever a professional thing like that. <clears throat> so what I used to try and do is I used to try and help people see how that making a hamburger mattered. Now, I know that sounds crazy, right? But it does matter, especially if you're a mom trying to get off of work, get home, get your two kids fed before whatever else you have to do that evening. Getting a hamburger with the right stuff on is kind of important. Now, I said right stuff, and you're going, oh, but you work for McDonald's. Never mind. Another question. <laughs> we tried. We tried. So I would always say, guys, we're changing the world one hamburger at a time. Now you're going, that is cheesy. I'm all about cheese, man. <laughs> all about the cheese. That's all good. My point is this, we have to connect what we're doing in life to the larger things. And so when we give people clarity, it helps them be motivated. So today we're talking about your vocation in life. And I mean your job, but I also mean more than that. I mean your position, your place, what you do. Maybe you're a mom, dad, grandparent, son, daughter. You have a place in life that you fill. That's your walk in life. And the point of today's message is it really, really, really matters, okay? I believe that the world needs Jesus. Do you believe that? Yeah. Amen. I believe that the world needs Jesus. Does anyone else believe that? Yeah. I believe he's the answer. I believe he's the answer for every problem. He is the foundation for hope and life. That's, those are things that I deeply, deeply believe. As a pastor and as a missionary, someone who's planted churches and those kinds of things, throughout life, we're always trying to figure out how are we going to give the world access to Jesus? How are we going to let them know that Jesus is the answer? And we do all kinds of things to do that, man. We have mission trips. We have evangelism outreaches. We have church on Sundays. We try and share the gospel. All kinds of things we do. The sad news is all of those special things we do, although necessary are not going to reach the world for Jesus. Do you know who's going to reach the world for Jesus? You are. And until you and I own that in our walk of life, our vocation, till we understand that the only access the people in our circle are going to have to Jesus is from us, until we own that, we're never going to see the gospel infiltrate the world or even our own country, or even our own city. We have to own it. As long as we're waiting for the next special teacher, evangelist to come along, or the next crusade, we are never going to reach this city with the love and access to Jesus that they need. It has to come through us. So we've got to change our attitude about that. 
We have to turn kingdom thinking and Jesus, giving Jesus the world, away from a special activity and make it an ordinary part of life. How do we do that? We start with this realization. God blessed me to bless. God blessed me to bless others. He puts so much in us so that he can share through us what's going on with other people's lives. So let's jump into that idea for a second. And let's talk about what you do for a living, or I could say what you do in life matters. It's very important. And so I don't know what you might do in your life. Some of you might be a waiter, wait staff, waitress, waiter. Some of you might be lawyers. I've shared a lot of lawyer jokes over my tenure here, so we don't have a lot of lawyers, and I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> so in the future, I'm going to be nicer to attorneys, as long as they're not suing me. So don't ignore that. Don't ignore what you do in life. Don't put it on the back burner. Don't say it doesn't matter because it does matter. What you do in your life is important. In fact, it's your ministry. It's your ministry. People look at myself, Pastor Steve, Pastor Michael, and say those guys are in the ministry. Wrong. Ever since... Ever since the Reformation, ever since the First Great Awakening, we've begun to realize, Second Great Awakening, we've begun to realize that this kingdom thing is about every last one of us. We all have to be in this. So what we do matters. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. Pause. I know some of you have worked jobs where you like feeling like a slave, like somebody's in charge of your life and you have no control. And it creates stress for you. But you're not stressed. You're blessed. Oh, that was good. You're not stressed. You're blessed. That's right. So when you look at it, Paul says, are you a slave? How about this? Do you have a lousy job? Did that help? Don't let that worry you. If you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. So guys, I just want you to realize that whatever you do in your life, it's not who you work for, it's not your job, it's who you serve. So when I worked for McDonald's and flipped burgers, I had a great boss, his name was Greg Bailey, I love that guy. But I didn't actually work for him. I worked for Jesus. Amen. I made burgers for Jesus. I remember the first day I was standing over a grill, my first day of training, feeling like a total failure in life for some reason. The enemy just knows how to do that, doesn't he? And I'm standing over there flipping burgers, and I'm going, I haven't done this. And I was 40, I think I was 40 at the time, 39. I'm like, I haven't done this since I was 16. And the enemy's like, you failed. And then I realized, you know what? Flipping burgers for Jesus. Amen. And by the way, flipping burgers is a blast. I'm just saying, you just don't know until you have spun a quarter pounder on a spatula around and slung grease all over everyone around you. <laughs> you haven't had fun yet. How many of you know how that feels? There's a couple of, Bonnie's back there. She knows how it feels. That's right. What you do is important. So you've got to keep that in mind. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get the rest of that verse. It says, if you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. There is no shame in your job. There's no shame in being a working mom. No shame in being a stay-at-home mom. 
No shame in, in being a, a dad or a stay-at-home dad. No shame in being a minor. No shame in being a lawyer. No shame in being waitstaff. No shame in any of that stuff. It's what we get to do for Jesus. It's not what you do. It's who you serve while you're doing it. And, uh, and I realize that we have to have a J-O-B, a job. But never let that be your why. Never do the job for a living. Do the job for your purpose. Do you understand what that means? If all you do is go in, work to pay the bills, that is soul, it just will suck the life out of you. It's miserable. I guarantee you, if that's how you're doing your life right now, you don't like it. And so don't do it that way. You don't, and you don't even have to change jobs to change your attitude, do you? So don't, don't ignore it. Don't apologize for it either. Don't apologize for what you do. Uh, you get to do it, so redeem it. So redeem it. Does that make sense to you? So whatever it is you do, whatever field you work in, whatever it is, make sure it's something you do for Jesus Christ and do it in a way that redeems it for his glory. Bring Jesus to it. And never forget, we talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus is an expert at everything. He knows how to weld. He knows how to mine. He knows how to be an attorney. He knows how to be a politician. He would be a good one. He knows all that stuff, okay? So don't forget that. And, and, and so God says, God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So never think that what you do doesn't matter. I grew up, I was a child in the 70s. Back before the dark ages, we rode dinosaurs to school and chiseled on stone tablets, guys. So I grew up in the 70s. You know, today, for some reason, it's become a shame to eke out a living. But it wasn't a shameful thing when I was a kid. In fact, I didn't even know we were broke. I mean, I thought everybody drove old cars and uh, had mystery meat dinners. You know what those are? My mom would say, if you find meat, yell surprise. <laughs> we grew up down south, though, so roadkill was an option. But that's another story. It was the way things were, and there's no shame in that. So if you are in a stage in life where you're not making that much, you're barely getting by, or not quite getting by, we've all been there, there's no shame in that. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. It's okay. God uses those kinds of things in our life to, 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 to help us grow. In fact, if I could throw this out, you know, back in the 70s, we had potlucks. And we still have them today, but it was a little different back then. So back then, you know, everybody was kind of broke. And so you wanted to have a party for your family. You couldn't afford to just have a party for everybody. So you had, we didn't call it this in this context, but you had a potluck. Hey, you invited more people over and said, hey, bring a dish. That way you could afford to have the party. <laughs> That's what we did. And you know what it created? Community. It created the opportunity for everybody to share in a celebration. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I miss those days because today, now we kind of take on full responsibility for everything we do. And I don't think it's healthy. I think we need other people to help us, especially to celebrate. Especially me because I am lousy at celebrating. But nonetheless, those were the times that we had. So don't apologize for it if you're barely getting by. But also don't apologize for it if you're doing well. There's nothing wrong with doing well, with being blessed. That's, that's not just okay. That's great that we get to do that. And you don't have to feel bad for it. 
So don't, don't avoid that thing. Um, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.14, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, realize they both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Granted, we could probably all do better, but no, no one in this room is going to have it all, so to speak. And a lot of desire that's happening in our world today is, is more greed than need. It's, it's, more, uh, it's pushing a little too far. And so, just want to say that if you're blessed, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's no shame in it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, wisdom is, is even better when you have money. Can I get an amen on that? And both are a benefit as you go through life. There's another. That's great. Hallelujah. Lord, I'd like to try that one. But verse 12, wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. And by the way, the Bible teaches us that Christ is the wisdom of God. I'll just throw that out there for free. So you've been blessed. It's great. But I've noticed that even though we end up blessed we always tend to want a little more, don't we? So we shouldn't avoid our blessings. Craig Grishel did a survey in Life Church. They asked people in the 50,000 income range how much money they needed to make over what they were at, and they said they needed to make 75,000, really. And then they went to the people who were making 75,000 a year and said, What do you guys really need to be making? And they said, 100. And so what's the answer to how much you really need to make in life? More than you're making now. A little bit more, right? That's kind of how we think. So we shouldn't ignore our vocation, our blessings. We shouldn't avoid it and let it go. But man, we should not hoard it either, okay? So what does that mean? It means that we need to learn to give in every aspect of life. In every aspect of life. So, I came to Rock Springs 15 years ago. Uh, maybe almost 16. This might be our 16th anniversary coming up here next week. We'll think about that later. Sorry. <laughs> that was a Michael Christie moment. <laughs> Sorry. When I came to Rock Springs, um, one of the challenges that we identified early was that so many people to work in our community, whether it's secular or in ministry, had to be brought in from the outside. And we really struggled mentoring and developing people right here. And part of it has to do that we're just a small community, and we have these periods where we really expand quickly, and then we contract, and so people, we kind of become transitional in nature. And so one of my, my hearts from the very beginning when I was with Emmanuel when, and even at McDonald's and especially now is that we need to develop people right here. So how does this fit into what we're talking about today? And it's, it's the idea of mentoring. In this room are some amazingly skilled people, some amazingly intelligent people, some amazing leaders in our community. And I thank God for you. Thank God that you choose Ordinary Faith as a place to attend. And I want to encourage you to give that away to mentor someone else, to bless someone else. Because remember, you've been blessed to bless. So pass on what you know. One of my favorite uh, movies is, um, and they were soldiers. 
And of course, I kind of like Mel Gibson, especially in that time period. And I love the scene where he's got people coming off a helicopter, and he gives that little, there's a few things that are happening there, but he says, he says, your job is to learn the job of the person above you and teach your job to the person below you. That's your job. That way if someone gets taken out, everyone knows what to do. It's the same way in life. Our job is to, to always be learning and always be teaching. Every one of us should have, uh, you know, someone above us that's a, like, in a, I hate to say a father because I don't want that to get taken out of context, but at least a mentor to us. And then everyone needs someone below us that we can coach. And so I guess in Paul's case, he had a Barnabas who brought him into ministry and a Timothy that he poured into. Does that make sense? We need that in our careers. We have to stop thinking we have to stop separating the spiritual from the secular. We have to stop separating Sunday from Monday. That's, that's what an ordinary faith is all about, is that our faith has to press into every day of our week. We are not just Christians one day, or Christians when it fits, or Christians when someone, someone needs us. We are Christians at every single moment of our lives. We are Christian business people, Christian leaders, Christian employees, Christian sons, Christian fathers, Christian mothers. Everything about us is Christian, and you cannot cordon it off. So we come to our work lives, and we need to give that away. Pour into other people. Share our wisdom. Make your field, hear me now, make your field, your family, make it a better place. Give away what you had to fight for. Amen? Give away what you, how many of you guys started jobs, and you had to earn your boots? You know what I mean? Like, everyone gave you a hard time. It was like being hazed but it was out in the field somewhere or in an office or something like that. And people were like waiting to see if you could hack it, to see if they liked you, whatever it was. And you're sitting there like dying for help and no one will help you. You ever been there? Go ahead, give, give me a hand. You ever been there? Go ahead. All right, a lot of you have. You can put them down. Don't be that guy. Don't be the one that when the new guy comes in that you stand your distance, step in. Be Jesus. What if they turn on me? What if they hurt me? Yeah, because that never happened to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus didn't ask you not to get hurt. He taught you and empowered you to love. And in your workplace, this is what love looks like. It looks like pouring into other people. It looks like giving. Do that in your relationships too. My wife I'm going to brag on her for a minute. She's going to turn red. I don't care. She's awesome. Eight sons. Thank you. That's right. I mean, she is living with me. That should be a free ticket into heaven right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> Boom. Number one question this woman gets asked, how do you live with him? But she likes me because I, I got her out of a mental institution, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This amazing woman, she's like, she's like the classiest girl. She knows everything girls are supposed to know. And I don't, I can't, I just look at her. She knows like etiquette. I ate my manners. You know what I mean? She, she, you know, she knows how to do baby showers and parties and I don't know. And she just knows all the girl stuff, okay? And God gave her eight sons. No girls. That is so not right. But apparently God knows exactly what he's doing. 
And, and so I look at her, and, and she, every chance she gets, she tries to pour into some young mother, some young woman, and give them the wisdom that she has. Because, ladies, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a time before Pinterest. <laughs> We're having a baby shower. Oh, let's get on Pinterest and find out cool things to do. And you slap together a whole bunch of things and so forth. Back in the day, Pinterest was mom. Mom, we're having a baby shower. What do we do? And she would get together with Grandma and the other ladies. And I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pine for old days, but I do miss that whole older lady, older people teaching younger people things. I miss that part of our culture. If I knew how to reclaim it, I would so create a drive to do it. If we could just reclaim that, where that the wisdom of the each generation could go to the next, that would be beautiful. So... It should be the same way in our families. I talk primarily today about your job, but I mean your whole walk of life. Teach what you know. Share what you've been given. Share what you've been given. Don't hoard it to yourself. Uh, don't do like the world that says, get all you can, can all you get, and poison the rest. But share that wisdom that you have with other people, okay? So now, where do we go? So we talked about your place in life matters. Now, how do we give? How do we bless the world with what we've given? So, what we've been given. So, let's do it this way. First, let's determine to bless the world with what we've been given. Let's bless people. Can you give me a nod if you can go there? Okay, I can, I can buy into that. I'm not asking you to do anything yet. <laughs> nice hook in there, right? Can we bless? Can we be blessed and bless others, Okay. So let's determine in our minds right now, let's open ourselves up to it. So I'm going to assume that you all just said, yes, I want to be a blessing in my world today. And so I'm going to say, yes, we're going to march out of this place today, ready to bless the world. So let's do it, and let's do it with joy. Let's get happy. Jesus wants you to be filled with joy, not just be happy. Do you know what a side fact of joy is? Happiness. And so let's go out there, and you know that one thing the world needs more than anything in your field, in your home, is people who are acting like Jesus. I would say that's the number one need in the world. A bunch of people acting like Jesus. And Jesus was a joy-filled person. Now, I know you might read the Bible and have this concept of Jesus that is colored by your lens in life that's very authoritarian or dark or what have you, but Jesus was a happy guy. You can tell just by reading the story because he totally messed with the disciples all the time. He had fun, I think. Yes, I think so. But anyway, that's another point. If we could begin to act like Jesus, we kind of live in a world that thinks it's cool to force people or thinks it's right, thinks it's leadership, to force people into supporting their plan, into this soulless approach to things. And so I don't want that from us. I don't want our homes. I don't want our businesses. I don't want it in our fields. I want that, that joy that we have. The Bible says this in, uh, in the Bible. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Notice how he's connecting giving to planting, to sowing, even to receiving. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So we're talking about taking the blessings we have and giving them to other people, and we're talking about doing it 
with joy, with cheerfulness in our hearts. You guys ever heard of the, the law of sowing and reaping? I mean, if you're in ag or gardening, that definitely makes sense, right? Here's what I realized. I typically think about sowing and reaping in one direction. This way. If I do something good, then I will reap a good reward. What I forget is that if I do something not good, then the law of sowing and reaping also applies. And so I began to think about my experiences in the workplace and in ministry. Have you guys ever had any problems with, uh, I hate to say it out loud, I mean, you probably never had these problems. You ever have problems with complaining? <laughs> is it your fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> I just have a gift from the Lord. I call it discernment, and I can just see everything is wrong. <laughs> and there's a lot wrong with you. <laughs> just kidding. That was a voice in my head. There are a few of them in there. <laughs> he needs help. <laughs> amen, amen, he needs help. So I wonder what happens when we sow complaining. I wonder what we reap at that point. What would happen if we sowed joy? What would, we, what would happen if instead of sowing the enemy's accusations against someone else in our family or in our workplace, which is what complaining is doing, it's sowing the enemy's accusations, okay? What if we stopped sowing the enemy's accusations and we started sowing Jesus' affirmations? Started sowing Jesus' love for them. Started sowing not the true facts about what they've done, but the truth about who they are what we could see them doing. What if we began to change our language to one that agreed less with our enemy and agreed more with our Father? I think you could sow into that, into your workplace, into your family, into your marriage, into your parenting. You could sow into that and you would reap a joyful harvest. Do you think that's true? You think that's true? Okay, three of you. You three, we agree. Everyone else needs time to digest it. It's okay. I'm not judging you for that because I don't want to sow judging and then break up my whole sermon. Do it with joy. Give in your field, in your home. Give what you have with joy. Then do it extravagantly. So there's this awesome story in the book of Mark. Mark 14, I'll just read it. A woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from, made from essence of nard. I used to read that lard, but that's because of where I'm from. <laughs> she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head, and some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they ask. Now let me ask you a question about this. I don't know if you remember the story or not. I probably should give you a little context. Uh, but I've read enough of the context for the day. A lady comes in basically and pours this very expensive gift over Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question, and I want you to give me a good, firm answer, and it's either yes or no, okay? Do you think Jesus deserved this extravagant gift? Yes. yes. Jesus deserved this extravagant gift. The beauty of this story is that the only person who truly got to anoint Jesus for, for burial was this lady. Everyone else missed their opportunity, but
But she responded and extravagantly poured something on Jesus and blessed Jesus. So I want to take that as a lesson for us that we should also give extravagantly. That we should not be stingy about what we give away. Whether it's our time, whether it's our training, whether it's our money. We need to learn to live in a way so that our our finances start with giving. Because usually our finances end with giving. And what we need to do is we need to learn to give, save, and live. Right now we're living, probably not saving, and then if there's anything left, we'll give some. We need to flip it around because God blessed us to bless. If we live in a way where all we do is receive blessing and consume it, that is in itself a way of sowing and reaping. I think that's why we struggle. I think that's why we never have enough. Because we're, we're basically sowing um, lack and fear rather than sowing faith and prosperity, abundance. But nonetheless, we should learn to give in whatever we give in extravagance. Um, because we need to realize that this is how Jesus touches people today. Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So, I mean, a lot of us are like, I really want to get closer to Jesus. I really would like to have a deeper spiritual life. I would really, I'm sure there's all kinds of wishes like that and desires like that in the room. Or maybe you just want to even know God. Well, how do you get to know God? Well, we learn to to touch God and reach out to Him when we reach out as Him to other people. When we represent Jesus to other people. When we give people access to Jesus through other people. When we touch people with Jesus. And so this is what Jesus wants us to do. And so we need to get very liberal about that, very giving about that. And it can take a lot of practical turns. It can happen at lunch today. You go out to lunch, you have your dinner, pick your restaurant. I'm not going to suggest one because I don't want to support who knows who I'm supporting today. And you go out and you have this server come up. And I love people in the customer service industry. I was in the customer service industry. I know what it's like. And, and they come up and, and they have that smile on. You never know if it's real. I mean, you know if it's fake, if they're slamming your plate down. But other than that, you know, Christians kind of have a bad reputation on Sundays. Uh, anybody who's been in the service field can tell you, we kind of have a reputation of being grumpy and cheap. I mean, not you. <laughs> but some people do. And so, what if you went out today and you said, you know what? I've been blessed. I'm going to bless my server. I'm going to bless them today. And who knows what that looks like? Maybe it's a 30% tip. Maybe it's match your, your meal. I, I don't know. All I know is this. Extravagance gets attention. And what's my goal? Access to Jesus. My goal is access to Jesus. I may not get to share the gospel, but I can still share love. And I might get a chance to share the gospel. I might get a chance to say, hey, you know what? I just want you to know how crazy God is about you. And I I get a chance to sow that seed. I can't tell you how many people have melted into tears in my life over something like that. To hit them at a place, you just never know where someone's empty. 
It might be that. It might be patience with the new guy or the new girl who's totally clueless about what they're doing in your field. Or patience with your own children. It might be taking some time to do for others what wasn't done for you. I do know this. The more extravagant I am in giving, whether it's money, time, mentor, the more extravagant I am, the less stingy, the better my attitude is. You want to overcome that fear of not enough? Step into the extravagance of sharing. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, he's, he might be talking about money and he's freaking me out, so I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I am talking about money, but life is so much more than money, and giving is so much more than money. We're talking time and training and giving. Does that make sense? Man, I'll tell you what, I really think this is what Christianity looks like in, in the ordinary on Monday, where we are pouring into other people whatever we have, okay? Third, do it sacrificially. Do it. So, it takes a lot to impress Jesus, okay? But there were a couple times he was impressed, and this is one of those times. In Mark 12, <clears throat> Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I'm sorry, I better set this up. A woman who had just come and thrown in, for, for, la- for an easy way to say it, she had thrown two cents into the offering at the temple. Two coins, that was it. Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, this poor woman has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. What a story. And I'm, I'm reading this right now, and, and as I was studying this, I was like, what was she thinking? I mean, this is, this is pre-prosperity doctrine. I mean, nobody back then was saying, give $100 for a new Cadillac or anything like that, so in my ministry, and God's going to... None of that stuff was happening back then. And, and, and who gives like that? Her motivation could not have been her. Her motivation could not have been her. Michael last week talked about you've been blessed with a battle. There are some things in your life, there better be something in your life that's worth everything. There has to be something in your life that's worth everything. This woman was a widow. She had lost the income earner in her family. It was you know, maybe she had children, we don't know, but it was just her in the sense that she was responsible. And all she has to live on, she gives to God. And her only motivation, the only motivation for that kind of behavior has to be love. And that's how we have to live our lives, focused on love. If, if we focus our lives on fear, that's a terrible way to live. It's going to create so much anxiety, and, and it's going to be a seed that's going to to bring up so many fearful things in our life. We have to, and the only way to beat that is to drive it out with love. I know, I know. Our human nature is I can beat it if I just stop doing it, if I focus on the bad behavior and kick it out, it'll be over and done. That is not how it works in the kingdom. You can only drive out darkness with light. You don't drive out darkness by beating the darkness. You drive out darkness by turning on the light. And that's where sacrifice comes in. This lady 
had to have poured everything in for love, not for recognition, not for honor. She didn't even apparently even know who Jesus was. She had lost so much. But for her, as she threw those coins in, it was, I love you, God. That's all it could have been. I love you, God. That's why we should do it sacrificially. So what do we do with this? Yeah, you just listened to a sermon on giving. We talked about your job and your family. I just want to encourage you to live life with an open hand. To model your father who gave everything for you. And to live like he lives in the world. And to give and present in this world everything we can. To realize that every blessing is for the purpose of blessing others. It's, it is because the Father loves us, but it's also because the Father loves through us. And to remember, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. God wants to bless you. In the kingdom, everything is inverted. In the world, get all you can, can all you get. In the kingdom, open up and give extravagantly, sacrificially. What can you give today? This isn't, take, if it makes you uncomfortable to think about money in the equation, then take it out of your brain. I want you to know, everyone gives churches a bad rap about talking about money, but what they don't realize is that the God of the church is not broke. He doesn't actually need your money. You need to give your money. He doesn't need it, okay? That's the issue. So take it out of the equation. What can you give? Who can you help? Who can you bless with what you've been blessed with? And you may be sitting there going, I don't really have much to bless people with. You have more than you think. You have so much more than you think. And this, this room is filled with wisdom, Okay, if I put it this way, this room is filled with mistakes. How many of you would say, yep, I've made a lot of mistakes, okay? All right, yeah? Do you know what you got from all those mistakes? Wisdom. Life gives you the test first and the lesson later, okay? Out of all those things. So the, the most mistaken person in the room is actually the wisest, probably, if you learned. <laughs> there is that little caveat. <laughs> Some of us struggle, <laughs> What does God want you to give today? Maybe someone sitting near you needs to hear you bless them. Maybe they need some appreciation, some affirmation. Hey, dads, maybe you need to put your arm around your son or your daughter and just say, I am so proud of you. And have a reason why. And, and put an attachment on that. I care about you. Maybe you need to go out and bless your server at lunch today. Maybe there's someone in here that you know is hurting. And you could stop and say, hey, could we just pray together? And you could give a prayer for them. And some of you, I know that's outside your comfort zone. But I hope it's not always outside your comfort zone. Because you realize prayer is inviting God into that situation, right? And when we invite God into a situation, anything, and probably something awesome, can happen and will happen. What can you give today? Heavenly Father, you have given us everything.
you have overcome everything that's wrong with us. You, you have brought us into the family, and we are not orphans. We are sons and daughters. We are your kids. And Lord, today we come to you. Often we are asking for a blessing. But today I ask that you would change our prayer. Lord, would you bless through us today? Would you bless through this body? My prayer, Lord, I would love to see a lot of men, women, and children lifting each other up when this service is over. Being friends. Taking the time to give a new greeting to someone you haven't met before. Prayer. I would love to see little prayer clusters all over the place. And Lord, I would, I would like, a, if, if I may ask, I would like a reputation as a church in our community as that the people in that church love this city and love the people in it. Not just the idea of the city, but the people in the city. Hey, Lord, we're your kids. It's your presence that inhabits this place and inhabits us. Bring us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. The place we can start giving today is making great thanks. Sing with me. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an abstract.